This is episode number 148, The Business Breakdown, Founder Incubator with Tom Bilyeu and Jake McKeon of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. Uh, this is a really cool episode. It's a little bit different. It's something that we haven't done in a very long time. Actually, the last one that we did of these, the founder incubator, like business breakdowns was episode 56 with uh, one of my mentors, Matthew Mikowitz and Derek Haney. And a lot of people back then, this was over a year ago, maybe even a year and a half, a lot of people said, wow, that episode was killer. Can you do more of these? And I've been meaning to do another one and it's taken me almost a hundred episodes later to do it. But this one, you're in for a treat. Uh, one of my friends, Jake McKeon, he runs a very, very interesting business. And uh, I'm, you know, another another one of my friends, uh, Tom Bilyeu, who's the founder of Quest Nutrition. I'm sure you guys would know Quest Bars. Uh, I twisted his arm and uh, got him to mentor Jake and, and uh, help him work through his business because he's trying to scale it. Uh, so very, very cool uh, interview uh, slash kind of me being a fly on the wall. I know you guys are going to love this. It's just a good little mix up. It's always great to add in, you know, just some different kind of content uh, that, you know, is still valuable. So you guys can be a fly on the wall and and hear what Tom thinks of Jake's business and what he should do and, and his advice for scaling. So if you're interested in starting or growing an e-commerce based business, we are launching a in-depth course taught by one of our expert instructors, also someone that we interviewed, Greta Rose Van Riel. That was episode number 81. And uh, that's actually one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever had. I don't know why, but everyone loved it. So make sure you check out that. She's teaching a course, how she's built 
and scaled four multi-million dollar e-commerce brands. I twisted her arm to teach our first instructor-only course. This is one of hundreds that I plan for us to roll out and build out a whole platform around this uh, to really help our audience and build a household name, entrepreneurial brand, and really build you know, something of true worth and significance. This is a big project. It's going to take me at least three to four, five good years of, of really nailing this. And I'm I'm in it for the long haul, guys, and this is the first one. So if you want to know how to get access to that course, make sure you sign up at foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce. And also, we just released an awesome sneak peek of the trailer on what you can expect. So if you go to foundermag.com forward slash get SAS, which stands for Start and Scale, which is the name of the course. So foundermag.com forward slash get SAS. You can check out the trailer. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty proud of what's to come. I think you guys are in for an absolute treat, not only about this course, but also this episode. That's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. Hey guys, so in today's episode, um, we're mixing it up a little bit and uh, we were lucky enough to have my good friend Tom Bilyeu, who's the founder of Quest Nutrition, come on today and actually coach someone in our community. Now he's doing some awesome, amazing stuff at the moment with his new brand called Impact Theory, which he's going to tell us a little bit more about and then uh, we're going to hear about Jake, his background, and uh, you know, I guess Tom's going to share with Jake and help him uh, with his e-commerce business because uh, Tom is extremely experienced in this space, and uh, Jake uh, has a new business that he's been running for the past year, which has had tremendous growth, and uh, I think uh, Jake and Tom will really, really jam really, really well. So, um yeah, I'll just hand it over to you, Tom. Would you like to share with our audience a little bit about yourself, how you got your job, uh, the new new venture that you're working on, and uh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely, man. Well, thank you for having me on. First of all, it's very exciting to be here. I'm excited for the, the chat with Jake. Um, so I am one of the three founders of Quest Nutrition, and that was a, a wild ride. And it sounds like Jake, you're starting to get a, a taste for that the you know the hyper growth with, which I saw was over 20% month over month. Which man, you're you're downplaying that in your bio. That's really really exciting, incredible growth. And so we were a hyper growth company in our first three years alone. We grew by 57,000%, and that was in manufacturing, which is like unheard of. Um, we didn't take any outside capital, so that was all bootstrapped and just a, an incredibly exciting ride. And that was all about answering the call to what would I want to do every day and love even if I were failing. And you know, for three very different reasons, my partners and I decided that we wanted to be in the nutrition space. And for me, it was having grown up in a morbidly obese family and wanting to actually solve the problem. And just looking at what everybody else's answer was, which was eat less and exercise more, I knew that wasn't a scalable solution. You know, we've been saying that for decades on decades on decades, and the problem is only getting worse. So it seemed to (laughs) us that the real answer was to make food that people could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. 
Um, and so that was really the, the ethos behind the company was to approach the problem from that angle. And unlike the businesses that we had built in the past, which were all designed to make money, and that was, you know, we were a servant to profitability and to, to making cash. We wanted to be a servant instead to value and to really create value for people and do something amazing, solve a problem and just design our organization from the ground up to be all about value. And so that's what we did and, and just was a smash, you know, beyond our, our wildest dreams, certainly from a speed perspective, you know, we always had pretty lofty uh, dreams and goals for the company and thought that it could really be something special. But as fast as it happened was admittedly somewhat surprising. And um, for me, wellness was always meant to be a 360 degree thing that was meant to encompass the body and the mind. And, you know, Quest had gotten so big that to begin to really play in the field of um, mental wellness was becoming harder and harder. And so it just made more sense to me to spin that off into a standalone company. And so that's what I've done now, um, which is take the studio that we had built inside of Quest, which was appropriately named Inside Quest, uh, which had a show attached to it and just had was gaining a similar amount of traction from a user standpoint, fan base was really, really incredible and wanted to make that the model and incubate companies and content creators. And, you know, I think everybody understands incubating companies model. I think it's less clear for people why we're incubating content creators. But for me, we're living through this age where mythology is in um, adequate supply. We have tons of it. You think of movies, comic books, TV shows, all of it's amazing, but people don't really know how to put it to use in their life. And there was a book that changed my life uh, some 17 years ago now at this point, a book called The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And that really became the foundation for my life philosophy and how to live and how to filter ideas. And, you know, was one of the driving forces behind the ways that I thought about Quest and, and just really is so foundational to my life. I wanted to create that next generation, not only of content, but of helping people understand how to use that content in their lives. So I don't look at Batman and see a comic book. I look at Batman and see an instruction manual for how to live and lessons that we can take away and apply to business. And, you know, I think people kind of laugh when they hear that, but that's really how I turned myself into an entrepreneur was um, through watching movies that changed my life, like The Matrix, which is certainly um, my most famous reference. Um, that movie really gave me a new framework for understanding that my mind was holding me back and that if I could empower my mind and, and really understood skill development, skill acquisition, uh, that I could do anything I set my mind to. And so that transformed everything about my life. And I went from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car in, in my early 20s to generating um, very substantial wealth and building businesses and, and having, you know, some, some pretty um, life-changing success. So that's what we're doing. And uh, yeah, that's the, the mission is to bring wellness all the way around to encompass not just the body, but the mind. Awesome. And would you like to share a little bit about impact theory just quickly? Yeah. So, well, that all is impact theory. Impact theory, the show is an interview show where I bring on thought leaders, people that have succeeded in all kinds of walks of life. We've had just in the last few days, everybody from uh, Amelia Boone, who is, uh, I don't know how popular this is in Australia, but she's an obstacle course racer, which here in the US is massive. And she's also happens to be an attorney for Apple. And she is quite literally one of the toughest um, human beings alive. And the fact that she's a very 
high achieving professional woman just makes it that much more interesting. Sean White, who's the most famous and most winning snowboarder of all time, uh, to a business owner who created a um, this socket ball, which basically turns a soccer ball into a power plant um, and is doing amazing things now in OEM, building out basically devices that capture kinetic energy and turn it into power. So, you know, we've got people like that. And then uh, one of the most famous neuroscientists of all time, a guy named V.S. Ramachandran, and then um, famous people like uh, Michael Strahan, who's a TV presenter here, and just all kinds of people in between. So it's really turning into something special. Yeah, no, I, I can attest to, you know, content. I, I was actually honored to be on Inside Quest, and I was so inspired that I want to set up something similar for Founder. So no, you, it's, it's really inspiring what you're doing, man. So look, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Awesome. So Jake, um, before we jump in, and uh, I know you've got a lot of questions for Tom around where you're at uh, with uh, Coconut Bowls, would you like to share a little short uh, intro about yourself, what you've been up to, and um, what you hope to learn from Tom? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I'd just like to say thanks to Tom for taking the time to have a chat with me. Uh, everything you've done with Quest Nutrition and our Impact Series, really inspiring. But so my kind of uh, entrepreneurship story started about five years ago when I quit my corporate job with a kind of far-fetched idea to create the next Facebook. So I created this, uh, an app called Mood Swing. And while we had quite strong growth in terms of users, the product just wasn't right. We never really found product market fit. Um, since then, I've created a couple of uh, product-based e-commerce businesses. Um, they did all right. They still operate today. But basically, it felt like I was kind of force-feeding it to people and never really kind of saw the growth that I'm seeing with my business now, um, which takes me to, to Coconut Bowls, which is why um, I'd love to have a chat with Tom about it and get his advice and kind of mentorship. So what we do is we reclaim coconut shells that are discarded as waste as a byproduct of the coconut oil, water, and flesh industries. And then we turn them the, the coconut shells into beautiful eco-friendly bowls that you can eat from. So it sounds like a little bit of a hobby business, but when you realize that billions of coconuts every year are discarded and burned as waste and 99% of them you know, aren't used, it, there's kind of a big problem there because the burning of coconut shells you know, contributes significantly to carbon dioxide and methane emissions. So we sold our very first bowl in January 2016 and ended up selling over 25,000 throughout the year, including 10,000 in the six weeks leading to Christmas. Um, in terms of revenue, you know, our first month we just ticked over $1,000 and by December uh, we turned over, over 50 grand. So as Tom said earlier, we have grown 20% month on month, sometimes over 100%. So we have experienced quite strong growth and what I have identified myself and through my mentors is, you know, America is a huge market for us. And basically what I really want to talk to Tom about is, um, you know, how we can help penetrate that market either online, retail, and, you know, any ideas he has uh, based around that. Awesome. Well, look, I'll, I'll uh, leave you guys to it. Let's, let's kick it off. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So um, basically, Tom, my product, it sounds very unique, but we've already had a handful of businesses try and copy what we're doing. Uh, I think we have first to market advantage and I've secured all the domain names and social handles. But do you have any advice on how we can maintain our market share 
and kind of make our competition irrelevant? Yeah, I think you have one. Um, you, there's a few things, but there's one thing that you guys are going to want to target right away, and that is to build the community. And at Quest, one of the things that I always saw as our competitive advantage, the one thing that, you know, while people might be able to begin copying our formulations, the one thing that they wouldn't be able to copy is the investment that we had made in our community over time. And when I think about a customer base, I think of it like a marriage. And here's the truth about whoever you marry. They're going to age, and one day they're going to be a big bag of wrinkles. And once you accept that trading them in for uh, a younger model is not a long-term winning solution because there's nothing more valuable than shared experience, you'll begin to understand how you can inoculate your business by building a community. Now, I think there are things that you need to do for your community, with your community, in order to really get them to invest, in order to make that relationship meaningful and more than just you know some fleeting social interactions. And I think you guys can look to um, Tom's shoes as a potential model for that, because one of the things I, I know that we might get this uh, might get to this later in your questions, but I'll just bring it right up front is. You know, how do you um, get some more urgency in the the product line? You know, it's it's something that other people can come into. They can um, do what you're doing. But I think that if you are you familiar with Tom's shoes, by the way, and what their model no, is. I'm okay, not, so no. Tom, Tom's Shoes is a really, really fascinating story. There's already been uh, like business uh, reviews done of it. And what they're looking at is how this guy came into the shoe industry, which is dominated by massive players that just have millions of dollars uh, to throw on you know, quarterly uh, budgets for their advertising and just came in and really disrupted them. And I think at one point it was like the, I don't know, the fourth or fifth largest shoe company in the world. I mean, it's just crazy. Wow. And mm -hmm. the way that he did it was he was on a trip to um, South America and he was in this village and realized that there were these kids that couldn't go to school because they couldn't go to school without shoes. And they only had one pair of shoes for, say, three kids in the family. So they would either take turns or they would pick the kid that they thought was going to do best in school. And that was the one that that got to go. And he just thought, wow, like, I really want to help these people. And so it didn't even start as a business model. He just wanted to find a way to give shoes to people. But he didn't believe that philanthropy was going to be the way to do it. He wanted to have a sustainable you know, commercial model where he wasn't asking for handouts. So he came up with this model that at least in the US is referred to as one for one. And so his promise was for every pair of shoes that we sell, we're going to donate a pair of shoes. And so it was this very easily, easily transmitted idea where he could go into a store and say, hey, if you buy 10 pairs, I'm going to donate 10 pairs. And then they would tell that story to their customers, with signs up in the store and things like that. And it just got this kind of crazy snowball attention because people were so excited. It wasn't about just the shoe anymore. It was about the urgency of helping these people. And mm. I think you have, because your story is so compelling, man. And when I you know, go on your website and I read about why you're doing what you're doing, I feel like the pitch is more than this is the bowl you need. This is a solution to uh, an ecological problem. So yeah. you're not actually asking me to buy the bull just for the sake of the bull. Like that's there and that's maybe value proposition two or three. But value proposition was do good in the world. And I think that you're going to get a lot of people that resonate with that. But there's not going to be urgency. 
you know, and, mm -hmm. and you don't want your business to essentially become a carbon tax credit, right? Which is cool. And when I'm thinking about it, or if I'm a certain type of person, I might be really motivated by that. Um, then I'll do it. But there's only so many bowls that I'm going to need, right? So sure. you're going to, in order to create the urgency for people, and whether that's, by the way, selling, in, and we'll definitely address whether you should be going online or retail, but whether you're selling online or retail, I think you can create some real urgency by doing something like that. It doesn't have to be a one-for-one, -one and your margins are going to determine whether or not you can actually pull off a one-for-one, -one, but that's yep. just an example of one of the ways that you can really make this tangible for people is if you can tie it to something else. So if pollution is really the thing that you want to make your central focus to like, what are you doing with some portion of your profits to combat that? So not just, hey... They're not going to burn this one. And you've and, and that's how some of the language reads on your website is essentially you're rescuing that one bowl from the incinerator, which, you know, stops it from going into the atmosphere, which is awesome. Yeah. But like, what's the next step, right? So could we do something like, hey, not only are you rescuing this one from the fire, which is sort of the, the Disney-esque anthro anthropomorphication. I'm totally butchering that word. But <laughs> well, making, it, <laughs> making it more human, right? Um, yeah. and, and that is going to work, but then, Hey, on top of that, we also have this program going where either it's one for one, um, we're, uh, for every bowl that you buy, we do, we pull something else. Um, we plant something in Beijing, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. if you know what's going on in Beijing with the vertical, um, it's not farming, but it's like they're building these towers that are basically the entire facade is plants to combat pollution, right? So if you got into that yeah. game and it's like for every bowl you buy, we plant a plant. For every 10 bowls, we do a plant, whatever. But you find well, some correlate. Yeah, well, I instantly when you said that, so basically we have quality control and all the bowls that don't pass quality control, we do nothing with. So that's a perfect opportunity to gift them to you know, uh, like I think bowl naturally fits with food. So we could potentially find people that, you know, underprivileged may not um, be able to have clean tableware or basically like that and, and gift a bowl to somebody in need. So that's, that's a great really idea. interesting. Um, and so you, you have to be a little careful. You don't want to get sort of into mixed messages and having the clarity of marketing. Like, because yes, your bowl does go into food. And I saw that you have some recipes. And some of this is going to be, you just need to decide. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. But sure. what do you want me focused on? Do you want me focused on food or do you want me focused on the environment? Right. So you're going to, you're going to have to sort of pick a road. Just for argument's sake, let's pretend that it's going to be the environmental uh, pollution angle. You know, there's so many ways that you could get involved in. I'm, I'm spitballing here, man. But like, okay, this go, all goes back to where we started, right? Which is community. You want to be doing things that allow your community to really connect with you, to create a sense of urgency in the community that we're really doing something. You can imagine like going to the UN and either um, everybody at the next uh, summit to discuss the um, environment, they all get bowls. The bowls are waiting there on their table with an explanation of who you guys are and what the bowl means. Or um, mm, wow. you deal with a country that maybe has pollution and poverty. And hey, we've just done a deal with Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam. You know, one of the places that you're working in, where we're actually donating the bowls to entrepreneurs who are working in green um, startups in their country, and we give them the bulls to actually sell and supplement their income, whatever, you know what I mean? But it's like you're using 
your waste, like to be this ultimate green company that's then fueling other green companies and, you know, not to be crass, but like, that's how you make marketing work for you. Like, don't split yeah. your attention. Don't try to solve every problem. Like pick one problem and like, just go hard down that road. That doesn't need to mm -hmm. be pollution, but you can see how, if it is that now you can just, you can tell that story in like 10 other ways that your community will really rally around. And now if you're doing that, you can imagine somebody else comes into the space. What does it matter? It's like, I, as your community member, I'm invested in you. I get your vision. I see how you're working to actually make the world a better place, like no BS. And so I'm mm. invested in helping you do that. So ah, the competitor comes out, maybe their bull is shinier, maybe their bull is cheaper. It doesn't matter. They don't mean what you mean. Yeah. No, I appreciate that ties into kind of our long-term mission. So uh, I'd love to look at that further. Um, I might take it a little bit more business kind of questions now. Um, so we've achieved most of our growth with very little marketing spend. I haven't taken any outside capital and basically relied on cash flow to fund the business. But I know that paid acquisition is vital to foster growth. And without huge cash reserves, you know, I, I listened to a podcast with Nick Robinson, which is your chief marketing officer, or I, I believe. And um, he, he said that you guys would basically be happy for every dollar that you spend turned into $2, $3 and $5 is, you know, a really strong return for a business like mine with, you know, not strong cash behind us. What do you think is a good uh, return on investment target for every dollar that we spent on marketing? I, I really think that your goal is going to be to um, break away from the belief that you have to spend money to make money. And I'll, you know, even though you're quoting Nick, who was um, our CMO, we really, especially in the early days, we just were not spending money on advertising or marketing. The only dollars that we really spent on that was giving product away. And that's why I think that a big part of where you're going to have to focus is getting the influencers out there, spreading your word. And, you know, that's what worked for Tom's as well was People were so excited at the idea that, hey, I bought this pair of shoes and a pair of shoes was donated to a kid in this very specific village in South America. And I feel like this connection and every, I can't remember if they do it twice a year, but certainly at least once a year, they would do these trips down to that village to hand out the shoes. There was like this real visible, visceral sense of what I have done has gone to help these people. And mm -hmm. if you guys can catch the imagination of people, then you can break away from that because I don't think you're going to be able to throw money at this without taking outside capital. And I think taking outside capital for you guys is, is certainly an option, man. And look, if you just can't get the, the influencer strategy to work without throwing dollars at it, which by the way, I would really push you. I think you've got the story. I think you could really light the right people on fire for this and they would just be super, super jazzed by what you're doing. But if you can't, it's just not working and you had to bring in outside capital, then okay, fine, so be it. And and look, anything that's giving you a return of say north of 30%, you should call a win. I don't know your margin, so like some of that may break down, uh, but I'm talking like real, real um, profit. Anything... Yeah. Anything north of that on a pure e-com play is is reasonable. Um, yeah. So you know, as long as you're north of that, great. If you're doubling your money, and that was always what we aimed for at Quest. You know, if I spend a dollar, I want to make two, but that didn't always hold. Um, mm -hmm. And so much of marketing is soft. It's not like that hard ROI where you can really track. It's getting better, but since I think a huge part of your strategy should be social, it's always going to be a little soft for you. 
Yeah, great. One one thing I took from, uh, I'm not sure if it's a podcast or an interview that I read, but uh, some people believe in what you're doing because they're paid to. Others just believe in in what you're doing. And I think that we've, we've had some success with influencer marketing and partnering with people within our kind of target market. But I think what you said earlier about building that community and that kind of um, social initiatives in terms of what we can give back to the community, I think that's going to really obviously um, help us kind of foster better relationships with these people so that they you know, want to continually help us and, and be aligned with our brand. For sure. And also, usually the only people that you have to pay are people that are big. And mm -hmm. I think if you're prepared to really, um, I'm making the assumption, by the way, that this is a forever company for you and you're not just looking to build it to sell it because I might give you different advice. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to build to sell, if you're trying to build to sell, velocity becomes more important. I'm less worried about you taking outside capital because the reason I fear outside capital isn't because it won't um, accelerate your growth. It will, for sure. It's that you now have a ticking clock. And they're going to expect a return on that. And they're either going to be looking for you to go public or sell. And that can make people start making very short-term decisions. And I think a company like yours, which feels so focused on real impact, um, that just mm, seems like it would be a mistake. Uh, yeah. But if I'm wrong about that, you know, just let me know and, and we can adjust strategy. But um, assuming that this is a forever company, that you really want to have impact, um, that you want momentum, you want growth to be sure, but that's subservient to the building the company right growing at a pace where you can hire the right people, um, really build some sound infrastructure. Uh, I think that I would worry less about going after big influencers and I would go after diehard people that are trying to build a name for themselves. Right. And it's the difference if I don't know how familiar you are with music, but you know, if you think about music, there's two ways to go about it. You can incubate talent, find somebody when they're young and, and help develop them. Or you can go to somebody that's already had a smash record and try to buy them over to your label. And that's how mm -hmm. I think about influencers. It's always best if, if you're in it for the long haul to find somebody that you look at and you could just recognize like this person's going somewhere. They've got like a real knack with their audience. They're really doing something special with their, their audience may only be 7,000 people or 15,000 people, but they're doing something special and you can project out a year or two years and know that person's going to have a hundred thousand or 200,000 followers. I'm going to establish a meaningful relationship with, with them now, invest in them, help them get to that point. They're helping me as well by spreading the word to people who aren't already in my ecosystem. And now we're doing something special together. And now two years from now, if you've got, you know, maybe you developed meaningful relationships with 50 influencers and six of them actually turn into something, but now you're getting the friends and family rate. They've been helping you all along. That's how this stuff really, like you really smash it out of the park. Yeah. I think if you asked me three years ago, when I first got into e-commerce, it was definitely trying to build something that I could eventually sell. But now I've actually got a product that people love and I see how much it means to them. It's really kind of got me believing in, you know, a lifelong business and, you know, making a real difference to, to society. I want to move on to, so I'm basically I'm spending March, April and maybe May in the US. Um, I've, I've highlighted it as a big market for us and I'm attending a few expos and uh, exhibiting at a few different places. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on whether we should focus on online sales and retail or or one or the other. The the answer in today's world is always, always, always going to be both. But if you have to lean on one, a thousand percent lean online. 
Um, and the reason is that you need to build that community. And there's no better way to build that community than to have a direct sales funnel with them, to see what's working, um, to see what they go for, what message resonates with them. And if you're going into retail, you're always working through somebody. And the feedback that you're going to get is going to be so dramatically skewed and distorted, whether intentionally or, or totally unintentionally, um, by their lenses and the way that they view the world. Um, so having that direct relationship, it, it is so critical. And also online sales, you know, grow and import every day. But I, I think that if you're really doing your business right, um, you spend a year to two years more uh, building the pull through demand online. So making sure that, you know, people are walking into stores and saying, oh, you know, I, have you ever heard of these um, coconut bowls? You guys should really be carrying these things right up your alley so that you're getting now people coming to you. Like that's the ideal scenario or that when you say, hey, we're now available at Crate and Barrel or, you know, wherever um, you go, that people then immediately like they already understand the product. They know it. They're, they're going and getting it. They're telling their mom, you know, so that you get that immediate hit. Because if you don't sell a certain number from day one on the shelves and those retailers, they're going to pull you. And it's so much harder to ever get back on the shelves than it is to get on the shelf the first time. So focus online for now, get the users, but but be strategic, price now, thinking about where you're gonna be three years from now in retail, where you're gonna need the margin for the wholesaler and the distributor and all that good stuff. Um, that That's super important. And pricing is is the one place you'll kill yourself. Um, and that's, that's really the only um, drama with starting online is people usually price incorrectly and then they just can't go to retail. But if you price right, you can do both. Yeah. Just one more question on that. Um, you know, I've, I haven't really had much experience with, uh, well, we, we're in 80 stores at the moment in Australia and a handful overseas. For, for Just say we had the opportunity to meet with the Whole Foods or something like that. What would your advice to me be in that meeting if I was trying to get our, our products on their shelves? Be willing to say no. Be willing to walk away. And and the reason is, so in the beginning, um, the way that stores are going to look at you, they're going to look at you like uh, they're a kingmaker. And they're right. They've got a lot of pull. They attract a lot of people into their store. And getting on their shelves can be very beneficial. But the, where people go wrong, man, and I've seen this enough, like I'm begging you to like hear me out on this one, mm -hmm. is selling of a lot of units is not the same as being profitable. And what happens is people end up, they get in, they look at the deal and they say, hey, I'm profitable. I'm making, you know, maybe 10 points, 15 points. I, I can live on that, like 18 points. Okay, as long as I have 18 points, like I'm good. And then what happens is the retailer then begins, oh, sorry, we have breakage. And they take the breakage fee automatically, by the way. They don't have to prove anything to you. They just take breakage. And hey, we need you to advertise in the flyer. And suddenly your 18%, which is sort of the bare minimum you needed to eke by, becomes 12%. And now you're either breaking even, doing a lot of work to break even, or worse, you're losing money. This happens all the time. So mm -hmm. just know whatever deal you go in with, that is not your net effective price. I promise you, it's just not. Okay. So it's going to be significantly lower than that. So making sure that you work with them to establish like, what do you expect me to participate in? What are all the things contractually that sort of come off the top? And then, um, does that really work for me long-term? And if it does, then do it, man. And retail is amazing. But if it mm -hmm. doesn't, and it ends up being, you know, where you're making five or 10 points, uh, it's like, wow, that's 
almost certainly not going to be worth all the effort. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So right now it's myself. I didn't mention earlier, but I also run a social media agency um, with an employee here in Melbourne. Um, and I have a contractor that helps me and both of the girls work with both businesses. You know, as our business grows, do you suggest we look at uh, employees on the ground here in Melbourne or whether it's somewhere else or we work with contractors? I do both. And I'm a big believer in both. And I think they each have their place. And this is where I think their places are things. If this is a forever company and you're going to be building it and growing it for the long term, I think you want a base of full-time employees because they will feel that you're committed to them. And hopefully you show that in your every action. They in turn, if you're treating them really well, if they believe in the mission, if they know what you're trying to accomplish, they can see a career path, they understand how they grow with you, then they're in turn going to invest back in you and they're going to invest back in the company. And you've got the stability um, and the, the good things that come from the continuity of it being the same players and they're there every day and you guys are fighting side by side and you believe in each other. But then there's, there's things that need to expand and contract all the time. And, and a very classic example of this for us anyway is artwork. And so there's times we're feast or famine. So there's times where I need, you know, um, a hundred hours worth of work done in, you know, one week. And then there are times where I need 20 hours worth of work done in that week. And so having one person on staff, they're either hating their life on the heavy weeks or I'm, you know, really uh, mismanaging my funds on other weeks. So what we do is we keep the minimum amount that we need where we know I'm going to have this amount every week. I have people staff for that. And then instead of beating them into submission when we have spikes, those are the times that you then bring in the contractors, which I strongly encourage you to have uh, relationships with people um, so that, you know, I try to always have three to five contractors that we've established a good working relationship with. Um, we know what their work is like. We know what their turnarounds are like. And the reason we keep more than we need is you never know when somebody's going to be available. If you're only using them part-time, it's only right. They're going to be taking other jobs. So, and then, you know, over time, if you're growing, then slowly, sometimes you'll move a contractor into a full-time position if they're local or you, they can telecommute, or you'll just find somebody and, and hire that full-time position. But yeah, I think it's, it's a balance between both. Sure. So I think um, I have a question here and I, I think you've already answered it, but of all the marketing initiatives and campaigns that you've done with Quest, I think the working with influencers and, and sending out product to people was something that was really successful for you. Can you share any light on, first of all, your approach and then how you continually keep in contact with these people to make sure that they're you know, still part of the brand long term? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Those are the two things that I would say that we were most successful with. The way that we approach everything with influencers is who can we add value to? So it's not just who can add value to us, but like who can we provide something to that's valuable? And at Quest, that was you know really, really easy to establish. Um, it's, it's maybe more exciting on impact theory, but it's very different. So the way that it looked at Quest was we would find people typically in the health and fitness community that really wanted the legitimacy that we as a brand could provide them because we had a great product. So we had a lot of cachet in the industry. So even just giving them products so that they could say that they were a sponsored athlete was a really big deal. And we would get to know them, get to know their feed, get to know what they were putting out into the world, how we could be useful to them. And we would try to help them out in any way that we could. And sometimes that was letting them come in and use our studio, our equipment, some of our staff, 
And other times, you know, it was just giving them product or if they were holding an event or something to make sure that we sent reps to the event to hand out product, you know, just things that really made them feel well taken care of, um, hiring them to work events. So we were going to hire somebody anyway. So, hey, let's hire somebody, you know, that's in our influencer community. That went a long way. On impact theory, it's a little bit different. Um, and what we do is, so because we incubate businesses, we start with, um, in some cases, we'll actually help them for free. We don't ask for any money, equity, nothing. Uh, we'll just help them add value if we believe that their company is delivering a powerful service. And I'm of the belief that you just, um, if you can give away your value in you know, a few interactions, a week, a month, or even a year, like you probably don't have that much value. So I'm never tense to give something away for free you know, and I mean, like this call, right? Like I am, I am literally trying to give you as much as I can, as fast as I can, uh, <laughs> to make sure that, you know, I give you as many of my tricks as humanly possible, because I know that the real juice is in the execution. And that's, that's what it's all about. I'm just trying to give as much value as humanly possible. And that's one of those, it's super simple. A lot of people are saying it right now, but not a lot of people are actually doing it. Um, so when we're, in fact, just today, we had a company um, come in today. They have a medical device. Very interesting. I think it could have huge implications in weight loss. Already FDA approved for weight loss. It could have implications in disrupting anxiety and depression. I mean, it just could really, really be amazing. And I've been helping them develop a strategy and um, going to help them do some social content, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, we haven't asked for anything. And so you can sort of see them like waiting for the other shoe to drop, and but there there is no other shoe. And the thing is, if we can deliver enough value and we can see that their product is real, then you know we'll worry about making something contractual. But between now and then, like I just want to give, 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 and yeah. that's that's how you attract high caliber talent because you're not putting up any guards. There's no defenses, no walls. You know, it's just value. If you lead with that, then then you'll um, you'll find some amazing relationships. And look, eighty percent of them are going to turn into nothing, and it will have been you putting value out into the world, getting nothing for it. But the twenty percent, man, where it clicks and it it turns into something, it really turns into something. Yeah, great. Um, so we've had uh, a handful of the influencers that we do work with want to uh, sell the bowls on their blogs and, and websites. Do you guys do any affiliates with Quest, or do you advise? us to kind of pursue that i've been reluctant to do it so far but what are your thoughts on kind of affiliates um i love it man anybody that wants to get out there in the right way represent my product correctly bring value to their consumer base and sell my product i'm all for it now if somebody is just trying to trade on my branded terms and their sole strategy is to wait for me to advertise uh, on my name brand to go out there and build it. And the only keywords that they bid on are, you know, my terms, then that's parasitic. And, and that is totally meaningless. Um, so number one with affiliates, never let them bid on your branded terms, but if they can make something happen without touching your branded terms, like that's amazing. You know, nine times out of 10 is because they're adding value to their community. They've gotten good at affiliate marketing. Um, there's something, you know, that they're doing. And, and I would be very, um, uh, specific about who I let into my ecosystem. I wouldn't just take anybody on as an affiliate, but like if you decide to go down the path of, you know, uh, pollution and really helping with the green movement, finding affiliates, you know, that are blogging about that and they just don't have a way to monetize, right? Like they're so passionate about being green, about educating people on this. How do they make money, right? And so it could be this perfect marriage 
where they have your product and a bunch of other products that they really believe in. So they're giving you credibility. You're giving them a revenue stream. And it, it just really becomes this wonderful symbiotic relationship. So if you're careful, you're attentive, and you really just you know ask, who can I offer value to? I think you could find some, some very meaningful ones. But I don't want to be Pollyanna. There are a lot of parasitic people in that space. And so, you know, when it comes to affiliates, you have to be very, very careful. Yeah. And do you think that with, you know, bidding on your keywords and key terms, do you think when I have, uh, if there's any other online retailers um, of our products, we should also have a contract that states that they can't bid on the same words that we are? Yeah, you should. They're going to do it anyway. And it's, you know, what we call whack-a-mole. Um, and you, in the beginning, almost certainly won't have enough resources to pursue and chase them down. So you'll have to make some criteria. You know, at Quest for us, we didn't want people that were um, web only. So we were looking for people that were brick and mortar as well. But here's just the truth. If you're not selling on Amazon, you, you're just missing such a huge opportunity. The truth is people, and I'll speak for the US, here in the US, if you're gonna try to crack the US market, you're gonna have to be on Amazon. That is where people wanna shop. Amazon is brutally difficult to deal with. They will not let you um, do minimum advertised pricing, uh, which is one way that you know here in the States, we can keep our prices from being eroded too much. Um, so you really have to control them by what price you sell at. But if you can get them to carry you, their experience from a shopper's perspective is so good. And once you go to Amazon, it's like, what grounds do you have to tell other people no that are pure um, web plays? So you really have to, to think about you know, how you're going to handle that. Nobody has a great answer to the Amazon conundrum because your retailer is going to hate that you're selling on Amazon. But I, I just think the truth is, unless that retailer is willing to guarantee sales, like it's pretty tough. Not, not to be doing stuff on Amazon. Amazon's not only a great sales channel, it's a great marketing vehicle. Um, so yeah, if, if it were me, I would definitely be selling on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, it's in our plans, but I've been, I've been lazy on that front. So I'll take your advice and, and focus on that. Um, I want to be conscious with your time. So I wanna, I've got a couple more questions um, before we throw it back to Nathan. You've already given me so much. I really appreciate it. But do you foresee any challenges for our business as we as we kind of grow? The only one is, are you going to be able to diversify enough to really feed into whatever, you know, if it's the pollution angle, not to beat that to death, but if it's, you know, green, that, that you know, how do you go beyond the coconuts? Because you go to all this work to get somebody into your ecosystem. They love your ethos. They love that you're rescuing, you know, you're essentially making something out of sawdust, right? So other people are harvesting the flesh and the water. Um, and you guys are saying, Hey, this remnant that just gets burns bad for the atmosphere. We're going to take that, turn it into this, you know, sort of beautiful piece of art, which is really, uh, one of the cool ways you guys are marketing that this it's, it's unique. It's one in a billion. It's, you know, really this wonderful thing. Okay, so now you got me, right? I love it. I bought a bunch of bowls. I bought bowls for my family. Like, but now everybody's got bowls. So what's mm -hmm. next, right? And mm -hmm. I think as you expand that that product line, how do you not trap yourself into being just the coconut bowl guys, right? It's got to be yeah. the ethos rather than the specific item. And so I think one of your scaling problems is going to come down to your name. I don't think you want to invest that heavily in coconut. I think you want to invest in we rescue things that would otherwise 
not only be just waste, but then the waste is handled poorly. And so how many other sort of quote unquote waste items can we turn into these incredibly beautiful usable items and really show people that there's this whole economy to, you know, the things that other people think of as just something to be discarded. Now, when that becomes your brand ethos and you've got, you know, 10, 15, 20 products like that, now you're a brand. And mm -hmm. that's when I think you'll really win. Yeah. I appreciate the you know, thought. Always think big, think big. Um, I wanted to kind of, you've, I've already got an idea of what your advice is to me and what we should be doing next. But if you could give me a, a one, two, three things that I should be focusing on, you know, immediately, what would they be? Build the community. Um, that's just huge, huge position yourself for growth. So finding a way around, um, what I'll call a branding trap that you're in right now, which is overly investing in coconuts. I think that this could expand into just a whole bunch of things. Um, and then the third is, really figuring out the cash flow issue. And that's going to, with the kind of growth that you're having, that's going to dog you. And until you can either figure out um, that the growth is going to sustain, right, without you throwing the additional dollars, which it may, especially if you begin telling this really positive story and you go broader in your product offerings. And now the people that you get into your funnel have more things to basically upsell themselves to, upsell others to, get people into your newsletter, which will be just an ongoing way to communicate with them about the problem that they really invested in anyway, which is the environment. And so now you can be, you know, an authoritative voice in that. You can start doing content marketing. And then you've always got these new products products that you can be getting into the system uh, with not, if you can uh, broaden your product horizon and maybe even team up with other people that are working in a similar vein to get some sort of subscription where they're going to get a new product every month or something like that on the subscription basis, just ways to get people into an automated you know, relationship with you would be really, really powerful. Um, and then I'll just throw in a fourth. Uh, which is to figure out, you know, exactly selling online, figure out the Amazon piece. I think Amazon is going to be huge, huge for you. Great. Thanks so much for your time and advice, Tom. I really appreciate it. And I know it's going to go a long way to helping us build that, you know, long-term business. Nice, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I'm super excited about what you're doing. I, I think your mission is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Boom. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome well look um yeah man uh i just wanted to say thank you so much guys for being so transparent that was really uh, a fascinating conversation to be a fly on the wall so next steps i was going to say is tom would you just like to share i guess uh the best place uh our audience can find you and then also uh once you've you've shared jake would you be able to share the best place our audience can find you and and more about what you do yeah, most definitely. So the place to find me is at Tom Bilyeu. Last name is spelled B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. From there, all of our content emanates. So you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. Uh, you can start by following Coconut Bowls on Instagram. <laughs> but you can also find me on Instagram as Jake McKeon, or my email is jake at coconutbowls.com. Awesome. Well, look, that was a fantastic conversation, guys. Thank you so much both for being so transparent and uh, pretty much just forgetting that uh, the mic was on and we were recording because uh, that, that was, there was so much gold shared. So thank you so much. And uh, we can wrap there. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me on. And Jake, it was an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you, man. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. 
As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.